Hello and welcome to part two of my interview with Mayor Michael Dillon Brennan. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would definitely recommend it because that's weird, but hey, it's your life. Next Monday, my musical guest will be Brent Kirby, and the following Thursday, I will be releasing my interview with a local director, Roger Hill, to talk about his new film, Huckleberry. So, if you want a spoiler-free experience for that interview, I highly recommend you watch the film. It's available to rent or buy on Amazon, or free if you are a Prime member. Okay, that's about it. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get right on with the show. Now that you've been in the job, yes. What have, what has been like the most uh, shocking or thing you've learned? Uh, you know, once you're once you're in mm-hmm. it versus when when you're thinking about what the job is. What has been the biggest challenges you've faced uh, trying to get um, in in terms of your platform? Well, okay. Well, I think I think the biggest thing is 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 when I ran, the one thing that I thought. Marienfeld was unassailable on was 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 her financial handling of the city. Um, it, it seemed as if even though she didn't have what I thought was much of a vision, I thought at least she was a good steward of 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 the books. But that turned out to be not the case at all. The finance department was a flaming mess when I got there. There hadn't been any bank reconciliations in over a year, which is just unheard of. In municipal government and a we bank re, a bank reconciliation. Well, I'm not. I'm okay. not going to just nod and be like, "Oh yes, I can't believe that." What, okay. Uh, well, so what is that? Well, well, you know, we, uh, not all of us balance our checkbooks every month personally, but if you have a business or or if you have a government finance office, then every month you should at least balance your books and see where you are. The city hadn't done that in over a year. The city didn't even didn't even have a current check register to know what checks were out. Nobody had been keeping track of that. It was it was a flaming mess. I couldn't believe it. And and and, and there was, I, and, was there and any was, way to to have known this prior to becoming mayor? I well, mean, is this something you? I mean, if you'd have found that out during mm-hmm. the campaign, it seems like something you that would have been right. I'm going to address this because yes, I'm, yes, and 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 there were there were hints of it in hindsight because. Uh, the 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 city council had not seen financial statements in a long time, and they had asked for them, and they'd even made public records requests. And the mayor would brush them off and say, "Hey, we got a surplus. We got this under control. Don't worry about it. We got this." And you know, you would hear over and over again, "Oh, we got two and a half million dollar surplus here in the city. You know, we're we're fine. Don't worry about it." But the thing is, is we didn't really have, I mean, it's, I mean, a surplus on paper can be created. It's a snapshot in time. You know, you, you know, you, 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 you can say you have a surplus if you're not thinking right. about like, oh, but this yeah. is, we're going to need this down the line. Right. I have a surplus on the first before I pay my bills. Exactly. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and so much of it was like that. Like I, I, I come into office and, and there's a, there's a $300,000 paving bill that hadn't been paid from the previous year that had been counted as part of the surplus. So that's $300,000 right off the surplus right there in one invoice. You know, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there were broken windows at City Hall that weren't being fixed because, well, that would cost money. 
So I fixed them, you know, but now I've spent the money on that. Oh, that Brennan, he's spending all kinds of money. Yeah, fixing broken windows and paying the paving bill. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a spendthrift. <laughs> so, right. So, so yeah, uh, we, I, I began to sense that, that, that uh, you know, I, I was new to municipal government, and I'm not a finance guy. I'm an attorney. I, 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 if I was a numbers guy, I probably would have been an engineer or an accountant or, 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 or something like that. But, but I wasn't, so I didn't. And, you know, you do have to know some numbers, and you need to be able to read a financial statement anyway if you're going to be a practicing lawyer, at least depending on what area you go into. And, and I did do some commercial litigation. So I, I did understand how to read a financial statement. And I began, you know, demanding things from the finance department. And, and, and there were some basic things that they just didn't seem to be able to come up with. So finally, I sat down the finance director and I said, all right, I need you to do, I need you to do the bank reconciliations for last year. We need to do the bank reconciliations for, for uh, well, this would have been 2017. This is now February of 2018. And I said, we need to do all the bank reconciliations month by month last year, um, you know, going back and just doing them. And he's like, well, that's going to be a lot of work. And I said, yeah, I know, <laughs> because it's a year's worth. <laughs> You're going to have to do it all uh, now because the auditors are coming and we've got nothing to give them. We're gonna, this city is going to be unauditable if we don't have something to give them and we have nothing to give them because there are no bank reconciliations. So I said, get to work on January and then let's see where we are. Well, a month later, I still didn't have a January bank reconciliation. So it was evident that we were going to need to go in a new direction in the finance department. And, uh, the, the outgoing, the then outgoing finance director, um, tendered his resignation. I took the assistant finance director who the mayor had hired a month before the election. I didn't know who this guy was. Nobody on city council knew who this guy was. She had quietly hired this guy uh, to, I think she realized herself that she was in trouble and she had really nobody to turn to. Uh, I mean, you can't really bring up in the middle of a reelection campaign, you know, I've been, you know, running the city this way. Oh, and by the way, we haven't done any bank wrecks in you know all year so you know that's a tough position to be in so i i i put him i elevated him to the interim finance director position and at first he was doing it and then he walked into my office uh, about three weeks later and said you know i thought about it and this is just not for me this is more work than i'm really prepared to take on and and i don't really want the job i will do what you need in the interim but but I said, okay, because my thought had been, if we get through the audit and, and, and we make it, then this guy could be the finance director and he will have earned the job. He pulled himself out of contention. I began looking for a new finance director. I found one former finance director from Canal Fulton, former member of the, uh, uh, formerly worked for the attorney general's office, had formerly been an auditor with the state auditor's office. And I thought, this is the kind of person we need in here. He's been an auditor. He's, he's done this. He's audited cities. We're facing an audit where we're not going to be audible. He'll be able to clean up the books. We brought him in, and he and that's James Goff, and he's been our finance director ever since. And we're still digging out in some respects. I mean, the, the, it, the, 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 as we go through this, the, the most acute, obvious problem has been the lack of reconciliations in the, the last year of the previous administration. But there were things that were not 
correct, not best practices. They were things that were that were over. We we still uncover surprises. Yeah. Like like at the end of last year, um, we went to pay, we went to make some payments uh, to the uh, to the uh, OPNF fund. Uh, it's a pension fund for our police and firefighters, and our payment got flagged because we made a payment related to overtime hours i think it was that the that that our city hadn't paid in the previous two years <laughs> and because we were making it because we were doing it right this time it, the system flagged it because we were paying for something we hadn't paid for in a while and they said well something's not right here either what you're paying now is wrong or what you've been paying is wrong but you need to call us so we called them and discovered that we had to make an $18,000 payment for previous payments for two previous years that hadn't been paid. So here we are, you know, cleaning things up, taking things out of this year's uh, budget and, and, and general fund and, 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 and funds generally, you know, for, to, cover, to, to cover for the mistakes that were made previously. And it wasn't just the last finance director. It was one before that, too. Well, that, I, I'm interested, curious. The one, like, mm -hmm. consistent criticism, and, and you even have said uh, in uh, one of your blog posts that, uh, uh, the, that the, and I always hear, like, the taxes in university heights are so high. I'm a, we're new property owners, mm -hmm. and so, like, local taxes has always been, it's never been something I've ever looked at and be like, I can't believe it. I'm always yeah. looking at my federal taxes and thinking about the wars I'm paying for and sure. a million other things that, that drive me nuts. Local taxes, I'm usually like, that's the one taxes where I'm like, I can look at what I'm getting. And I'm fine with it. So I'm just curious if if that sort of financial neglect or something is like where what what is the legacy that has led us to this this reason why University Heights has this reputation of having higher taxes than it's than our neighbors in some degree. Well, we do have high taxes now. We're not as high as Shaker, but you know we're at least as high as Cleveland Heights, and we're a little higher than. South Euclid, and we are higher than Beechwood. Now, the thing you got to keep in mind in Beechwood is Beechwood has an incredible commercial base. So their taxes as a percentage can be lower. And, and at the same time, their properties are worth more. So they're actually paying more in tax because you know, when it comes to property tax. Um, and then, and then, you know, because of the taxes they get on the commercial base, you know, they get about I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow these numbers, but but they get they get about twenty seven hundred per capita in 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 revenue to spend in services on their residents, and we get you know somewhere in the six to eight hundred dollar range because we don't we don't have like Cleveland Clinic here and their payroll like they do at the old MBNA. We don't have Beachwood Place. We don't have all these office parks and all these businesses that generate revenue that, that they, they go into the coffers here in University Heights. We okay. got Cedar Taylor and, and only half of it. We got Cedar Green and, you know, the better half of it. And we have Cedar Center, which is pretty good, and University Square, which is a big hole. And that's, we could spend an hour just talking about that. Um, and that's a problem. Uh, but we're working on it. <laughs> and, and, and then we've got Cedar Fairmount, which uh, much of it is in Shaker. Or not Cedar Fairmount. Why do I? That's I mean Fairmount Circle. Oh yeah, yeah. Cedar Fairmount is all is all that's all in Cleveland Heights. Right. But but uh, the Fairmount Circle, which part of which is in Shaker, 
So, so, um, so, so you yeah. find that to be mm -hmm. a, a fair criticism, and it, but it would be it's it should be addressed through more. You're, you're, you think that's mm -hmm. best addressed by bringing in more uh, businesses and, and or what to alleviate the tax burden for everyone. Mm -hmm. There's less people paying in right now. Yeah, well, part of it businesses. It's part of it's less people paying in. Part of it's it's not having as much commercial development. You know, we we all chose to live in what some people would call a bedroom community. I, I, I don't, I don't like to call it that because, um, there is a lot about university heights that is a destination and not just a place where people go to sleep and then they go to work someplace else. Uh, but, uh, much of the property tax goes to our school district and our school district is expensive, but, but there, but I've also looked at it closely and, 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 you know, it suits the needs of the students who who, who attend it and, and it's expensive to run a school district and, and they, they've had to make some difficult choices and they've had to close some facilities and they're probably going to have to close some more and they're not going to come back, uh, as planned for another levy. They're going to be able to stretch it for at least another year. And you also have the problem with the ed choice vouchers where a lot of the money that is going into the vouchers comes right out of the, the school district. It isn't just state money, but it's also local property tax that ends up going into those vouchers. And, and there is, it's about 7.8 million this year that's going out of the school's budget. And when you consider that the, <clears throat> that the last levy raised $6 million, you know, at some point we're, we're passing levies to fund vouchers and I'm all for having uh, many different ways to educate our kids. You know, the public school district is only one avenue that you, you want to be able to do what's best for your child. And if, and whether that means sending your kid to Jesu or sending them to Hebrew Academy, sending them to Beaumont or, or, you know, using the public schools or homeschooling or, or whatever it is, you, you know, it's great to have all these options. But the thing is, is that we still have to, we still have to support our public schools. And, and if we want to bring in new residents, they have to know that, that, that the public schools are a viable option. And, and they are. They are here in Cleveland Heights, University Heights. And the state report card system is, I think, unfair in how it grades our school district. Because if you actually see what is offered in the various buildings and the programs that are offered at all the schools, uh, we have an excellent school system here. Yeah. No matter how... It's painted by people in Columbus who are determined to dismantle the public school system. No, I when yeah when we were involved in the public school, I always would see those report cards. But then it's like it never squared mm -hmm. with what I was seeing from being you know we were involved in the PTA exactly. and, and the people I know who have you know we meet people who have had their kids go through these school systems. It's mm -hmm. like no one no one agreed with whatever metrics they were coming up with to decide. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, judging our schools. Yeah, we love the elementary school, and there was yeah there was a parent that were close with and she went through all of the Cleveland Heights schools and um, our son his teacher you know had been there has been in town for many many years and he's always lived here and it's just like there was it's always like great community and everybody loved the school and you know and then you see you know this grade you know or what's on schools.com right. and, and I don't I never understood it 
because we we got here and we you know we actually went to the school and did a tour and, and I'm like I don't I didn't understand what I was seeing online because when we went to the school we thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I can't do justice to the presentation that Jody Serini or any other member of the school board could make with respect to what is patently unfair about the uh, report card system and uh, how the data you know is is almost cherry picked Mm -hmm. um there are certain years that don't count at this point because there were irregularities in the testing the testing kept changing but they still look at your last three years so they look at the last three years that they actually uh, you know count Mm -hmm. so they're still counting a year from 2012 which wasn't necessarily a good year for the district when it came to the testing and when it came to graduation rate and so on. But the years where they improved in those things are years they're not counting. Mm -hmm. The CHUH district has above state average graduation rates. They, the, the, the last graduating class had, had over 10 million in scholarships which was more than what the comparable graduating class in Hudson got. And, 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 you know, that's, that, those are all, those are, that's a marker of, of a, of a strong, healthy school district. I mean, if some of those scholarships were based on need, it's also says something about, yeah, that we have some socioeconomic challenges here in this mm-hmm. district, which is part of what uh, drives some of the, um, <clears throat> The, the grade that we have because there are some challenges and, and there are things that aren't going to change. You do sometimes hear, well, I wish the height schools would be as good as they used to be. I wish that they would somehow be what they once were. Well, nothing in life will ever be what it once was, but there are always opportunities, you hope, and, and it, it's true for our school district that there are, to make things, to make things good in, in, in the new way they're going to be good. And I'm very excited about the new superintendent coming in, Elizabeth Kirby. I, I, I think she's the right person at the right time to, to, to do. We loved, uh, yeah. um, what was her name? The outgoing. Oh, uh, Dr. Dixon. Dr. Dixon. Yeah. 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 She was uh, very accessible and would, yeah, mm-hmm. it, we had questions for her and she, she showed up to the PTA meeting at the elementary yes. school and that's how we got to know her. And, mm-hmm. um, so is the the new. I haven't looked into the new superintendent yet. Uh, well, she's she, coming from Chicago. She, <laughs> that, she that's was, all I know. <laughs> yeah, but she grew up here in the Greater Cleveland area, and she went to Hawken, and she went to Harvard, and she went to the University of Chicago, and she's, and and you know, you say, well, why is she coming here? Well, she's coming home because well, her mother still lives here, and she's the one kid who, all the kids went to other parts of the country. She's the one kid who's able to come home and be with mom and, and, and take on the dream of taking on the kind of, 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 of urban suburban district that CHUH is. And, and she, she's tailor made for this district and we're kind of tailor made for her. So, so there's a lot of optimism that she's going to take the work of Dr. Dixon and take it up to the next level. Um, because you know, Dr. Dixon wasn't without her critics, but the thing is, is the school district is better for the work she did. So, and, and I don't see any way that you slice it where you don't come to that conclusion, no matter what you may have thought of Dr. Dixon. And obviously you thought very highly of her and I do too, you know, so, um, 
So just uh, as far as yeah, our yeah. can yeah, mm-hmm. our relationship to her as a constituent, um, you know. She just had some views I that podcast, I thought were but good. I'm not like a full-on journalist who's gone there and dug through everything. Well, like I know she. I there be. was one thing like when they were protesting. You know, they had that protest for all the different schools where the kids were walking out, and she was just like, "Yeah, yeah, if that's what they feel they need to do, oh, they the need guns. to walk out." She was. Yeah. She's just like I've done protesting in my days and the kids are standing up if they believe in something okay yeah i wrote and over I, to Riley I, when they did their walk out and stood out in the field with them just just to kind of you know watch what was going on and to be a part of it too but also to say hey you know you're feeling this i'm feeling it with you you know this there's some awful things going on in this country and 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 you know washington's not listening you know they're listening to the nra but they're not listening to you and that's way more productive than just yelling at them and telling them that their voices are not important and to get back in school and start learning. I was like, well, mm-hmm. they were learning. They're, they're learning how to exercise their rights, which is probably more important than whatever they were going to learn in school. <laughs> well, no, you never know. But, um, you know, to, to walk out for a couple hours to do something, you know, I thought that was a, a larger thing to learn. And, you know, some of these schools were really, you know, they would give them detention and kicking people yeah. out. And Well, it was very cold that day, so they weren't out for two hours, I, I can assure you. <laughs> it, they, they, they were out, somebody had a bullhorn, they said a few things, and then they ran back in because it was very cold outside. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. Now, yeah. So you went into this, this whole road for you becoming uh, mayor yeah. triggered by being disturbed about where the country is going on a national level. Yes. Are you approaching being a mayor as what, what can a city do in whatever little ways to Mm -hmm. contribute to larger issues? Um, Mm -hmm. Specifically, um, you know, right now uh, uh, there's the, the green new deal Mm -hmm. and um, the Cuyahoga progressive uh, caucus organized. uh, I always get their name wrong. Mm -hmm. The Cuyahoga, what CCPC? Yes. Yeah. Cuyahoga County Progressive Co- Caucus. Yes, Cuyahoga. They um, mm-hmm. so they organized the green uh, the Green New Deal town hall. Yeah. Uh, in Brooklyn, and I need to go back. I still haven't gotten to go back mm-hmm. and watch that footage of it. But I was wondering if um, that's something you think would be valuable to bring here to University Heights, how, like mm-hmm. fil- facilitate having a, a meeting like that, and have you been looking at ways that as a city. Mm-hmm what could we be doing in order to transform ourselves into a, um, a more sustainable, uh, environmentally conscious uh, uh, municipality? Mm-hmm. Well, there are, there are a lot of challenges there. And, and, and I think, you know, a lot of it is, is I have focused on, you know, this is going to sound a little bit like corporatese, but but I, I'm going to go there. Um, there there are a number of things you can do that have that take a lot of effort, but also have a lot of result where you can have a, a large impact. And some of those things are are things that don't take a lot of effort, but still can have a large result. And then there are a lot of things where where you can take a minimal effort and and get a minimal result, but at least it's 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 of like kind and then there are things where you can work really hard at something and it really has no result regardless um i think the green new deal is a great thing a great aspirational thing for 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 the country and 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 for us on all levels i like the fact that 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 cleveland and greater cleveland well the city of cleveland is leading the way in 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 upholding the paris accords 
even though Trump pulled us out of that, that Cleveland's going to follow him regardless, that, that we're committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. You know, we don't have factories in University Heights. So, so, so it, it doesn't mean as much to us, although there are other ways well, that we but can I would, limit I would, it. No, but I would say just mm-hmm. like, what can you do that can mm-hmm. help, you know, attack this as like a death by a thousand cuts? Sure. Like, there's, you know, I mm-hmm. look around all the time and it bothers me when I just see a building like all the lights are on all night. Uh, in a giant building i'm like why like it, it, it doesn't that accumulate that's energy mm-hmm. that we're wasting that, that doesn't need to be and that energy is coming probably mm-hmm. from a dirty source probably in our current with our current infrastructure or Certainly. just a matter of how much you know where can you find places to be like well we're we're wasting all this paper on something when there's no reason we need to be and mm-hmm. like those little things i'm just curious if you're putting an eye towards that well i do have an eye towards it but I've also looked at it in terms of of what we can do locally. Like right now, we're we're engaging in a revised garbage study. That's something that I know that 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 we have a chance of really impacting. And I wanted to ask you about yes. the, the recycling. That's one mm-hmm. thing I know. We just got a recycling cheat sheet magnet. Yes, you got the magnet. Um, and I Good. know that that's been a um, that's a challenge for every city now that China has basically mm-hmm. said like we're done buying all of your recyclable materials for right. the most part. Um, how, how are we addressing that? Um, well, one of the ways we're addressing it is, is working in conjunction with the, the, the county, um, so that, you know, the solid waste district, so that we are, um, we're, we're giving, you know, we're putting into our recycling, the, the materials that are best marketable for recycling and, and trying to encourage clean recycling and trying to encourage things that, you know, that you don't put in things that aren't going to be recycled that just end up in the landfill because it's more expensive to landfill things from the recycling plant than it is if we just throw them in the trash ourselves. And we do, we do tend to wish cycle. We see something that has a number one on the bottom of it. We feel as if, oh, that should be recyclable but it's not the right shape it doesn't really process correctly now i've i've been over to kimball where they where they have the recycling plant where they do this the the sorting and it's a it's an amazing process to behold uh i you know all the different things that are done um both manually and, and through automation to separate certain things out of the flow so that everything ends up where it's supposed to be so that recycling can occur but you know, one one of the things that's that's happened is 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 people will still throw you know plastics three and above into the recycling bins, and and there's no market for that material, which is disheartening because there's something these are things that are technically recyclable but they're not practically recyclable in order to really complete the cycle you need to put something into the recycling that will actually be recycled and then turn it into another product and that's put into the recycling again you know that's how it's supposed to work and we all want to think oh when we buy all these things we're going to put them into the recycling it's all going to be good and we're saving the planet but but it's not as simple as that and it's it's and and it, it never was and it's far far from being what it was because of the national sword policy because of china because china doesn't need all of our dirty recycling like it once did and they're actually using their own their own recyclables now to make the products that they're making and and we are making far more products 
th- that could be recycled than, than, than China needs, and we're not using them ourselves for anything. We don't necessarily have a marketplace to put those items. And occasionally I'll hear from people who are like, well, why does it have to be a market? And it's like, well, that's how recycling works. It's market-driven. Um, yeah, it, it, it would be nice to say, oh, well, it'd be great if, if somebody would just do something with this, but who would that be? Is that something that is in government's mind at all about Mm -hmm. building new facilities to do more recycling? Or is it just that there's no market for this stuff? Well, it's it's really the market. Or a political will Mm -hmm. to put behind that making that sort of infrastructure happen because yeah, it crazy. seems like we mm-hmm. we don't have yeah we don't have the facilities to deal with all the recycling that we would send to china but mm-hmm. could we do that here is that something that's that possible or useful at all well, or? It, i mean what that would mean though is is not only are we building a recycling plant to handle things that aren't being recycled but then we're would have to create the factories that would use the recycled material into whatever product that would be made from that material. So we don't have that either. So it's a no, market it problem. A market yeah. Well, I was somewhat disturbed. I mm-hmm. had no idea that most of our recycling was sent over to China. Mm-hmm. And there's something disturbing to me about like, okay, you know, we're, I'm doing this thing to help the environment. I'm going to recycle this thing. But in order for it to be recycled requires this long chain of emissions to get it. Oh, yeah. To yeah. And how much does that even cancel out whatever... You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what, less trash just in the ground. But yeah, I mean, sure. it's a, it's it's really just yeah. Learning about the recycling situation. Mm-hmm. I went to that. Um, there was that orientation at the uh, at the mm-hmm. University Heights Library. That's when I started learning about the state oh, of recycling okay. yeah. in the city. Um, were you there we were, for Diane Beckett? Yes. Yes. Okay. You said you went to Kimball to go see how mm-hmm. um, things are recycled. Is that open for people to go see that at uh, all? Because I, I, I always kind of wonder. I'm yeah, always, if, yeah you're the mayor. Yeah. They let you in. But yeah. like, if there's there's other people that wanted to go there and like take a tour and, and understand what happens with our recycling, I feel like I've never truly understood what yeah. happens with the recycling, even after I read all the things and listen to all the stuff. And Yeah, you know, I feel as if they would benefit if, if more people saw it because I think they'd have a greater appreciation for what works and what doesn't. They should do what the water, um, mm-hmm. the Cleveland water place, they probably have a better word than place. The, the, N-U-R-S-D. The, the, yeah, the, sewer, the district. sewer district. They yes. um, they have a big thing where they, they have it open like at least once a year and you go there and you can tour it and there's games and there's like, you know, Wally the water drop and then there's like another yeah. another one that's yellow that's like a drop of pee or something. I don't know what that's. And they're all walking around and giving out things to the kids and, yeah, and, and they should do something like that at the recycling place to make more awareness. and Yeah, you know, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, Kimball is a private, that's private industry at their private, they're, they're, they're privately held. It's, it's not like, it's not like it's a government owned facility or it, it, they're, they have, they have a lot of government contracts. Um, it doesn't really benefit them to have it, people recycling properly. Cause if they mm-hmm. just get more stuff than you said, you have to pay for it. Like the city has to pay for it if well, they have to yeah, recycle. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of shorthand for what actually happens. I mean, we're under a contract right now, and and we have a we have a final uh, we have a one more year extension that we're allowed to approve under the contract, where uh, the current pricing on waste disposal and recycling is going to be good all the way until June of next year. But that's going to come flying up before you know it. 
And we have some fairly favorable recycling contracts and waste solid waste disposal contracts now, but that's not going to last. I mean, they're surely going to be more next time. I mean, South Euclid is facing this now. South Euclid is trying to figure out how they're going to pay for all that. And they tried to raise taxes and the voters voted it down. So now they're still trying to figure out how to pay for all that. And, uh, and, and we're just a few months behind them in, 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 in having to face that ourselves. Uh, and it's not going to be pretty. It's, it's, it's going to cost a lot more well, to do what we've been doing. It sounds, to, I mean, what it's sounding mm-hmm. like is like there's only so much cities can do with, I mean, the budgets they have and, mm-hmm. and you require infrastructure right. to, to deal with this. So it ha- that's why, mm-hmm. to me, it just it makes the importance of a Green New Deal at a federal level. And people hear that and the, mm-hmm. most of the resistance I hear to it is people being like, they're just, you know, thinking like, oh, I can't fly and I can't eat burgers. And yeah, they're mocking you know, and all it. They don't get it. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, no, we're mm-hmm. talking about systemic infrastructure changes that need to happen mm-hmm. in, in order to facilitate this. Yeah, because it can't fall on. Most of the carbon emissions aren't coming from you and me mm-hmm. and, and everybody living and in, in, in working. And like, yes, we all need can do our part to reduce waste. But at the same time, like the really big stuff is coming from emissions at the industrial level and and the commercial level. I just wonder how long it will be till you have to have your trash weighed and pay for it. Oh, that does happen. It seems seems like it's it's not too it's not too far off. Like if they get to a point like, look, our city can't afford this trash. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to make less trash if you have less money. Then this is not quite recycling, but I'm curious. Have you have you looked into um, or in uh, when we lived in New York, there mm-hmm. was a um, compost program, mm-hmm. and that's something I, I like. You know, now that we have a house and we actually are considering like garden, we like mm-hmm. we're thinking about composting ourselves. But okay. yeah, um, I didn't know if that's how how difficult that is to implement or what sort of an endeavor that is for a collection. Cause it seems like if you can collect that and facilitate that, that's almost like, can't you sell that or use it in the community? It's right also there like locally? half of my trash. Well, what we do do is, is we do uh, with, in conjunction with the solid waste district, hold a seminar every year on backyard composting and we make available at, uh, or the, the, the solid waste district makes available at cost, composting tools like i bought a barrel last year for composting from them along with the temperature gauge and 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 the and the tool that spins the Mm -hmm. compost around so that so that uh, that i can compost you know in my own backyard and and that that is that's something we can we can encourage residents to do we don't have a place we don't have the facilities or the space to 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 do composting you know in in our service yard and that's 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 not something we're able to offer, um, uh, but it's a um, but we are. I don't have the date right here in front of me, but I know that we have a date on the calendar for this year for for that. Plus, the the solid waste district does them all over town all the time. You don't have to attend the one that's in your community. If if there's one in a neighboring community that better fits your calendar, then then just go to that one. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're all free to attend. And and they'll go over um, the the basics on on what to compost, how to compost, what items put in, what percentage of green versus brown, and so on, and 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 how how to uh, how to make that work more efficiently. Yeah. And and what things you can throw in there, what things you can't, like don't put the meat scraps in, and things like that. You know. So, it's uh, I I'd encourage you to do it, and 
I, I don't always throw all my compostable stuff into my compost bin. Thing that like I I mm. get some of the stuff out there. Some of it ends up in the trash. Well, it does, but some of it does end up in the bin, and then it yeah, can, it can work. Well, and that just seems like something that like I I it's it's very easy for me to understand how how difficult because I don't understand what goes into recycling plastic materials like that mm -hmm. requires facilities and, yeah. and and all kinds of things that are way over my head, but if you have something like a composting program and you can collect that in any city in any city that's that's that has value mm -hmm. i mean if you have the ability and i know if there are places in new york and there were there were activists in new york who were finding ways to like get compost they would collect compost and then get it to places in the immediate area that could benefit and use that mm -hmm. um so it's something that it seems more of an opportunity then yeah, like your hand, your your hands are tied when it comes to recycling plastics. But that composting seems like an opportunity that any any locality could could get, find a way to reduce that amount of waste. That that's something that we can use and, and mm -hmm. to grow things. <laughs> yes, yes. I gotta find that. <laughs> I'm gonna go look that up now because mm -hmm. okay. I need to get that going in my backyard. Yeah, yes. I was lazy when I lived in New York because there was um I think it was the Queens botanical garden that once a week had a drop-off and it was on my on my walk to bring the kids to their class and I walked by it and I dropped off my compost once a once a week um, I dropped off my bag of food scraps and they and they took it and but I, and I couldn't find anything like that here I'm just like no why does nobody want my food scraps here <laughs> yeah no it's 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 handled a little bit differently here but but we we do have this backyard program where we encourage people to make their own and 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 uh you know I I have I have an herb garden and and uh I, I occasionally have grown tomatoes and other things so the compost has a place where it can go to mm -hmm. to, to benefit what I'm doing you know, there and we have local mm -hmm. farmers around here I mean well, I'm also starting to garden here. Like I'm yeah. working on things. I grew some tomatoes and herbs last year, and I'm working on it now. I have my seedlings going and trying to figure out how to not, you know, murder plants <laughs> and grow things I can eat. And, yes. And compost is the next thing to add to it. And oh, I just need some time. I'm yeah. getting it all together. You posted today about Elizabeth Warren's proposal for uh, uh, canceling out college debt. I did. And, you know, the immediate thing is, well, how are we going to pay for it? It's like, can't we stop and think about the return on investment that we'd get from a million people getting college degrees and not being saddled with crippling debt? Well, and, and, and as was so often the case in Facebook discussions, if they had read the article, a lot of the questions and objections they were bringing up were addressed in the article or in the proposal she made and and in, in, if you saw some of the commentary it made it they were it sounded as if there were people who felt like they were going to be the ones that were paying for this and i wanted to say hey if you're making 50 million a year well that explains all your free time or not <laughs> and 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 no they're they're not aiming at you and and you you know you just got done saying that you had to work three jobs to pay back your student loans well well don't you think that was excessive don't you think that I mean, you really think everybody else should have to do that because, I mean, if anything, I would hope that you'd be sympathetic to the idea that that you had to go to that extreme to to just pay for your education. One of the things that's terrible about where we are with all this is there was a time in this country where education was a great equalizer. It was a way uh, where where anybody could 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 get a good education, and it was a, it was a path to upward mobility. But instead, we're now in a place where 
the reward for trying to better yourself is you're paying all this money to some faceless entity, some other moneyed interest that's basically skimming everything that you worked for. And that money is, is money that you're not using to better yourself. It's not money that you're using to start a family or buy a house or, 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 or make yourself, uh, you know, a more productive, better member of the community. It's, it's, it's almost criminal. I mean, you, 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 we've got these, we've got, instead of working hard and bettering yourself, you're working hard and, and bettering the person that, that fronted the money for your education. You're paying, you know, hundreds of dollars in interest for a, 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 a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a principal payment, which is just a fraction of what you're actually paying. And by the time you're done, you've paid back the loan three plus times. And that is, uh, that shouldn't be what that's about. I mean, the thing is, is it, there was a time when the interest rates were low. There was a time when what it cost to go to school was a lot lower. And, you know, I'm, I'm 47 years old. And I, when I went to college, and I went to college in the early 90s, um, well, what I like to liken it to is when my, my father went to college. He went to college. He worked at a gas station uh, summers home from school. He went to Edinburgh in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, and he lived in Girard. He grew up in Girard. And he worked at the gas station in Girard. And over the course of the summer, he would make enough money to pay for his, his room and board and books. And, uh, and his tuition. <laughs> so uh, he would do that over the summers. Then when I would come home from college, I also worked at a gas station in Ashtabula. And I made enough money basically to pay for my books. Not my room, not my board, not my tuition, but just the books. And maybe a few payments on, on, on a student credit card. And then um, and nowadays, uh, we, we've hit a point where we've just made the loan money available and schools are free to charge basically whatever they want because you can just sign at the bottom you know, line and, and borrow whatever you need to pay whatever it takes to go to school. But when I go to Cleveland State or other schools and see, and see these beautiful student housing developments they've built, and I think about what it costs to live there, and I think, you know, by the time you're done with school here, you're not going to be able to live in a place as nice as this if you're trying to actually pay that loan unless you come out and make some incredible money. And the thing is, is that you don't. I mean, I know people who are doctors with medical school payments, and they have to do all the things that are part and parcel of being a medical professional. Mm -hmm. You've got somebody who puts in the hours it takes to be a surgeon, and they have this hefty student loan payment. They might have a couple of kids, and they're paying for a nanny, not because they're trying to... Uh, uh, live a certain lifestyle where they have a nanny, but it's out of necessity and they're barely making it. And that shouldn't be what happens. That shouldn't be how it is in this country or anywhere else. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing about, um, debt that I notice in a lot of professions, mm -hmm. it's not just lawyers. I mean, is that you're saddled with that and people who might have inclinations towards something more, contributing towards society um, or maybe even channel. like I have friends who are reporters at major news stations and they've talked about the sort of things they have to deal with in the corporate world of, of, of you know, cable television and things like that and how they kind of have to just suck it up and do it because like I'm paying off student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that can apply to a million different where it's like people are just trapped with this debt and like, well, I can't rock the boat cause I got to get through 
mm-hmm. what I have to get through. And I th- and you have to think about who that benefits. You know, it doesn't benefit the people in that situation. It benefits the people who don't want to change things. It benefits the people who don't want people rocking the boat. It benefits people who 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 want to take people like that and 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 keep them under control. I mean, there was a time we called that the golden handcuffs, but they're not really golden when it's about debt. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what reporters do is valuable work. It's important work. It's necessary work. The republic. The democracy. It all depends on having a free press and an inquisitive press, and, and we don't have that right now. And that's not because we don't have good people that are being that that, that want to be reporters, and that there aren't good people who are reporters. But you, you know, when you got the plain dealer laying off more people, when you've got uh, when you've got so many news outlets that are basically just they when they have little more that they can do than just uh, reprint people's press releases, and I mean that's not really journalism at that point, mm-hmm. and. It's a shame. Uh, you know, when, when you look at, at, at everybody who's been lost in, in local media here, all the layoffs here, uh, you know, it would be so easy for, and, and, and we don't, who knows if it isn't actually happening, for, for so many people in government just to run away with it and have nobody to really say anything about it. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that... Uh, you know, here in University Heights, I'd, I'd like to think that what we're doing is fine, even without that kind of scrutiny. But the thing is, is that the scrutiny belongs there. You, you know, you, you want to have reporters who ask you questions, and, and sometimes it's got to hurt a little bit, because they're doing their job. And right now, and that's not to take anything away from Jeff Perkowski, who, 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 who is uh, the Sun reporter who, who comes to our city council meetings. I mean, he, he, he reports on what we're doing, and, and this is not a slam on him at all. But even, even, even Jeff, I mean, geez, he, he, he's a local government reporter because he was a music reporter for many years. And suddenly the plane dealer didn't have a use for a music reporter. So if, if, if he wanted to keep a job, he switched over to local government beat. That's not his first love or anything. He's a music guy. <laughs> but this is what he does because this is what it takes to pay the bills. Yeah, I've heard that story uh, happening in lots of cities where they, mm-hmm. they lay off someone who was covering a beat, whether it was, you know, the, this court had the criminal courthouse or whatever, mm-hmm. and then they have to move on or they have to start covering more than one thing. And and and, and, and it just dilutes their how, how much scrutiny they can put onto things. And, yeah, mm-hmm. the state of the press is, is uh, depressing. Yes, yes. And and in Jeff's case, he, he, he has several cities he has to cover, and several of us have meetings on the same night. So he always has to look at the agenda and see who has the most newsworthy agenda from the start, and that's the meeting he attends. So sometimes we get them and sometimes we don't. But one of the good things that we do is we do video record all of our meetings now. So if he is unable to attend, he can at least uh, catch the video replay and see what we did. And that wasn't why we did it, but it certainly is an added benefit as, as to doing it. Because, you know, part of doing good work here in the city is, is you want people to know about it. You want people to know that, that, that you know, what you're doing. It isn't enough just to do good things if, if nobody actually is aware that you've, you've done them. It's not enough to create a program if nobody's aware that a program exists that they can uh, potentially use it. The polarization, I think everyone is getting really concerned about right yes. now. And I was listening recently to, uh, I can't remember what the podcast was, but the the, re- the really key thing that stuck with me was calling out, like, what we're lacking right now is solidarity. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and finding that, like, people understanding, like, where you and I mm-hmm. have 
common ground. There's so much focus on differences. And, and, and I'm just curious if, if you, as a politician and, and dealing with, you know, constituents who are, you know, who strongly agree with you and ones who strongly don't, Mm -hmm. if you've been seeing any routes to bridging that divide and what, what, what you hope for and what you fear going into 2020 right now. Well, I do think that the message has to be a positive one. And I do think that, that, um, I mean, there was some talk last time, you know, when, when they go low, we go high and, and, and that wasn't wrong. But the thing was, was that we didn't go high. Um, the, you know, the Clinton campaign and, uh, in 2016 ran all these ads that, 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 that showed Donald Trump for being the coarse, nasty person that he is. And the thing was, was that if you liked the coarseness and the nastiness, then Clinton's own ads were just reinforcing the thing you already liked about him. And if you didn't like that, well, then it was just reinforcing the thing that you already had decided against him on. And, you know, one of the things that I hearken back to is Jesse Jackson ran for president in 1988. And and America wasn't ready for a black president in 1988. In fact, you know, it, it, until Barack Obama was actually elected, you know, the question, you know, the jury was out whether America was ready for one then. But, but, and, in and I, we learned during <clears throat> his president, a lot of people still weren't. No, they weren't. And a lot of people still, you know, blame him somehow for being, for bringing issues out to the forefront when really, as, as a, as an African-American president, he, he didn't spend very much time on those issues because he, he wanted to be everybody's president, not just a black president. So he is subject to a fair amount of criticism for not having done enough on those fronts, for not having done enough uh, with regard to the issues that Black Lives Matter have, have, have brought up. And, and you know, part of... of Part, part of the problem, I suppose, in being a groundbreaking minority presidential candidate, I mean, there, we haven't had a lot, so, so you know, the, the, the evidence is fairly anecdotal at this point, but, but you, can't, you, know, you, can, you can afford to be a lot more radical when, when you are, I, I guess, when you're white and male than you are. When if you, you represent the status quo. Right. Or- Right. You know, right. Or at least you, you can, people look at you and think that. Yeah, sure. Sure. So if you're, if you're Barack, if you're Barack Obama, you're Barack Obama. You're not, you're not, uh, this, this wild eyed, uh, black activist. You're not a black Panther. You're not, you're not, um, I I don't even want to pick anybody in particular. It's just that it's, it's just that you're going to be somebody who seems somewhat aloof and not threatening and and scholarly and and you know the i'm not the one that came up with this but you know the the hallmark of whether of 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 whether there's an equality of the races when it comes to this kind of 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 political race and this kind of candidacy is is not when you elect barack obama it's when you elect somebody who is is aloof and goofy and 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 questionable as george w bush but black (laughs) and and um because you know, say what you will about about 
George W. Bush, you know, he, he, he obviously didn't graduate at the top of his class. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and, and he was an, an underachiever in a lot of ways, and he didn't even clean up his act until after he turned 40. Uh, you know, and I'm not picking on him for that in, in, in particular, you know, good for him that he got his life together, et cetera. You know, if you're a black candidate not or good a for woman, all, not for good for us. Well, no, no, no. But, 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 you know, take Hillary Clinton. The most radical thing about Hillary Clinton was the fact that she was a woman. I mean, her, she was a status quo candidate in every other way. And, and I know that there are certain people that support her who would say, how can you say that? Because, you know, of course she's groundbreaking. She's a woman. Well, you take away that and there was nothing groundbreaking about her. I, nothing. I'm, it's nice to hear you say that. Cause that's how I felt when, you know, like being a woman. And then I was like, I, I like the old white guy. <laughs> when yeah. I, I was yeah. like, so I was like, uh, and and I feel like that is my, that is how I am, that is my Me Too moment there. Just like I've decided, nothing to do with what the fact that she's a woman. That I I I like Bernie Sanders better than Hillary Clinton. It had nothing to do with the fact that she was a woman. And and I feel like a lot of people just went with it. was like it's, she's a woman, but she's a woman like that's not what mattered like that 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 shouldn't be what matters and that's that's how you know that you've gotten to a point well the the, the focus on anything personality mm-hmm. frustrates me in this in this race because i'm it's policies it's why you know it's why i'm attracted to bernie sanders it's mm-hmm. not because i love his charismatic personality he doesn't <laughs> have really what's electrifying about what he says is that he's talking about policies it's not soaring flourishing rhetoric mm-hmm. i'm not looking at him and seeing myself the way that i think a lot of women were looking at hillary and and, and identifying with who she was you know that the shared identity they have I see the same problems with Pete Buttigieg Mm -hmm. right now that, you know, his, you know, he says a lot of nice soaring things and same with Beto O'Rourke, but the policies and the background and who he's been, you know, the more I've looked at him, the the more I'm like, that's not what we need. There's, there's too much adherence to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the status quo is, is heading towards a cliff. And a lot of people, the reason why a lot of people voted for Trump is because they wanted to blow up the status quo and they mm-hmm. threw a, wanted to throw a grenade into it. And yes, some, many of them are horrible racists and a lot of people have that on them. You know, it, it's not everyone who voted for, uh, I forget what the saying is, you know, like, mm, I'm not going to remember it. I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think it was, I, I'm going to guess it was not everybody who voted for Trump was a racist, but they obviously didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, or or something. Or, or along no, no, that no. Line. All the racists voted for Trump. Yeah, yes. Okay, there you go. That that's what I, I think. That's probably right. Uh, uh, and 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 I don't think that um, you know. I I know some good. You know, I I'm going to sound a lot like what Trump said about the people in Charlottesville, and I don't mean that at all. But there are good people I know who did vote for Donald Trump, and 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 you know, while I question their judgment, I also. I also understand that, that, that they felt that he was speaking to them about issues in a way that Hillary Clinton didn't. And Hillary Clinton did not talk about jobs. Hillary Clinton did not campaign in the Midwest on the so-called kitchen table issues. I started talking about Jesse Jackson, and I kind of I lost the point uh, because I got but, but waylaid. But in, 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 88, in 88, he gave this speech at the Democratic National Convention. He talked about his, he talked about his grandmama's quilt. 
and he said, you know, we grew up poor. We grew up in, in, in North Carolina or, or maybe it was South Carolina, but we grew up and, and, and grandmama couldn't afford uh, us a, a, a proper blanket, but she didn't care. She, she took some, she took some cord, she took some scraps and she put this together and, and, and she made this big, beautiful quilt that, that kept us all warm and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it worked out for all of us. And, and, and we, and then he described how farmers have their own scrap, how, how women have their own scrap, how gays and lesbians have their own scrap and their own little piece of cloth. And that little piece of cloth is not enough, but, but when the workers and the students and, and, and the gays and, 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 and the farmers and, and, and the African-Americans and the Hispanics, everybody gets together and brings all their pieces of cloth together. You can make one big blanket that covers us all. And that was true in 88, and it's true today. There are people who say, you know, Hillary Clinton was too focused on the so-called identity politics, which I, I don't care for the term, but we all know what we're talking about when we say that. Um, that, that Hillary Clinton was, was too focused on trying to break a, a glass ceiling. It was too focused on the LGBTQ issues. Those things are all important. Disempowered people need, need to have representation in government. They need to know their president cares about them. We don't win by abandoning those people, but we win by making sure that all the pieces of the cloth are part of Jesse Jackson's grandmama's quilt. We make sure that the workers are included. We make sure that job security is, is included. We make sure that wage issues are included. We make sure that, that a lot of the things that Bernie Sanders were talking about, that, that, that Hillary Clinton you know, allowed to be incorporated into the platform but weren't part of her stump speech, that those things be included. You know, I had people trying to tell me, well, Hillary Clinton had a position on her website on jobs. Well, that's not, that's not the same thing as actually running on it. And, and you got to run on that. That's, that's important. You know, Bill Clinton, you know, the mantra inside the, 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 the war room with, with Bill Clinton was, it's the economy, stupid. And, and somehow that didn't translate into Hillary Clinton's campaign. It needed to be there. And if it had been there, she could have won. She could have won the Midwest. She could have won Wisconsin. She could have won Ohio. She could have won Pennsylvania. And, and, and that's the sad thing is that for all the flaws that Hillary Clinton seemed to have, she was very close to winning. She could have done this. And well, I'd say the election was decided by, you know, 82,000 votes, 82,000 really. yeah. less than a stadium. If she, when she, if she was a little more positive, mm -hmm. which is what we said, you know, this is what we need, you know, in the upcoming election, yeah. you know, she would often say, well, the Republicans, like, it would have these, she would say things that would just be like, the, against the Republicans are doing this. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't an I'm going to lead all the people. When you when you divide yourself like that, you lose when a lot of people. And they were Be like, oh, those those Republicans are trying to stop this, and I was like, you you. That always frustrated me about about Hillary Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and it's, well, I I really wonder was yeah. the biggest mistake of her campaign. I don't know how she would have lost if she'd have taken Bernie on as a running mate. To some degree, I, I just mm -hmm. I, there was I remember there was there was a, when she had the nomination locked down, there was, it just like came up in my Facebook memories of like basically saying like, I'm not mm -hmm. giving I'm not giving, a, you know, they'll they'll all fall in line. And there was a real attitude of like, I'm not giving a concession to these people. They, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and I there was there was like this an, like just antagonistic. And I know it was a really contentious primary sure but sure. at the same time it didn't seem like there there was a lot of like okay 
I, I understand your constituency and you have mm-hmm. problems with me and I am going to, I'm going to, or something. I mean, like Tim Kaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it just, it, there was a lot of stuff that just didn't win over Bernie voters. And I don't, and, and most of them did not go over to Trump. There's a myth that, I mean, like more Clinton, there was a poll, um, mm-hmm. It gets cited that like a lot of Bernie voters went over and voted for Trump or voted green and out of out of anger and resentment for how the primaries went. But the exit polling showed that a lot more uh, Clinton voters went over to McCain when she didn't win the primary against Obama. But. Yeah. Well, okay. It's okay. but it's all pointless to hash out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like what? That's right, that, right. and that's why I say and, like there's no the solidarity is not just it's not there between the left and the right and and seeing where we have common issues that because mm-hmm. that, that's what I, I when I get into conversations with people and I'm not mm-hmm. talking online we agree on so many things mm-hmm. about like problems of wealth inequality about like healthcare like I don't think that that is a divisive issue at all I think a lot of normal working day people think that it's ridiculous that we don't that we have to go through what we have to go through to get what most of us consider to be a human right well and but so much about healthcare is 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 the scare tactic about about losing you know what you do have and and i i mean i just saw that's so crazy though because i have worked at places where Mm -hmm. one year they just decide now this is your insurance carrier. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, I have no control over that now. Right, exactly. And and you, you know, anytime you hear somebody say, "Oh, well, you know, there'll be rationing or there'll be lines or you have to wait for months for, to get an appointment." It's like, "Well, you know, that's already happening. I mean, and and that's and if you know, if more of that happens, then then that means other things in the system need to be fixed." And and there's something very classist about saying, oh well, you know, I make a good buck and, and and I worked hard. Why should I have to wait with those people over there for a doctor's appointment? Well, we all need to see the doctor, and and I realize that 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 there are going to be different ways of 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 of, of factoring who gets to see whom when, but. But to make it sound like that you're being deprived of something if we let these other people dare to set foot into a doctor's office is 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 just it's it's classism and it's a scare tactic. And it's 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 sad to see. And they're still doing it. I mean, uh, Trump just put out something, you know, the five reasons why Medicare for all won't work. And, you know, like reason number four is, is that you'll wait forever to get an appointment. It's like, well, you know, he says, well, they're going to close all the rural hospitals. It's like, really? I mean, if, if everybody can go to the doctor, then why would they be closing hospitals? I don't even you know I don't even see how that connects, but very well. But the but the fourth thing that 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 fourth thing where where they're saying you know you're going to wait for you know months for an appointment. Well, then the problem is is you know supplying enough medical personnel. You know if you have so many people who need to see the doctor, well now you have demand. Now you just got to increase the supply. Now we fix that with free mm-hmm. college. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Look, guys, it's all connected. Okay, we're just gonna do run the board. Trust us, it's gonna work. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, if we get bogged down in 2020 trying to relitigate what happened in 2016, then then Trump wins. You know, and 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 the thing, you know, it was a relief when Hillary said that she wasn't going to run again because running again, it, it felt it would have felt like an Adelaide Stevenson move. It's like, okay, we're gonna put him up again just so he can lose again. Well. Hillary had already lost once to Obama. She lost. She lost once to Trump. Um, you know, the 
it was it was you know it's what you do when you when you love your country when you say hey you know the best thing for me is not to run and and i appreciated the fact that she did that um bernie sanders on the other hand we we're going to run the risk as much as i liked bernie the last time that that having him this time they're going to be people that will still hold that resentment and then and what do you do about that I don't know. I don't know if you eventually are able to convert them. I don't know if you're eventually able to get them to see, you know, do you, would you really rather have four more years of Trump or or can you hold your nose and, and vote for Bernie and look past whatever slights real or perceived happened last time? Um, well, I certainly I, I'm I would say I appreciate him being in the race for mm-hmm. no other reason than where he pushes things. And mm-hmm. the other point just being like he did he, he he wasn't annihilated mm-hmm. in in the primary he came pretty damn close he did in 2016 and so that if if there weren't that divisiveness there there's no reason like mm-hmm. he wouldn't you know no one would be saying he shouldn't run again it's just that there's also the just the matter of the whole centrist side of things and i think the Democrats have really been cor- corrupted by sane Republicans to some degree, mm-hmm. which is to say there, I think there are a lot of Republicans who abhor Trump. You're sort of classic Republicans of and who are now like, they have no home. They right. look at their party and like, this is insane. Who is this man? What is happening here? So they ha- the only place they can go is the Democrats. And the last thing they want to do is have their new home go to the left. I, I, I've been seeing a lot, like, like that's one thing that's been really mm-hmm. frustrating to see in the era of Trump is watching people like David Frum and, and, uh, and other people who um, were like, you know, David Frum was the speechwriter for George W. Bush sure. and who I find to be, he should be in the political wilderness, in my opinion. He has no place. He should mm-hmm. not have a platform and he should not be being amplified by Democrats, but he is now just because he's anti-Trump mm-hmm. and people like him are now laying claim to like, this is what the Democrats should be. I'm like, y- you don't get to come in here and tell us that just because right. you built a house that's now on mm-hmm. fire and we're letting you into our house so you don't freeze. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause I, Trump is not this, he's a symptom. They've been building towards this. They have. In terms of like fanning these flames of mm-hmm. I- Islamophobia and, and, and these simple minded like arguments that have been put forward to like this is, you know, and that liberals are evil and this, this r- rhetoric that's coming out of Trump. He's like the culmination of what I have been seeing going on in, in smaller degrees and inches and inches and mm-hmm. inches for a long time now. Yeah, th- th- these things didn't come from nowhere. The, this, this, this is the, in many ways, this is the natural outcome of, of the Southern strategy that happened beginning in 1968. You know, you have, you have Richard Nixon, you have, uh, you know, you talking about issues such as forced busing instead of just saying those people over there and calling them, you know, in, in the worst racial epithets. You know, we got away from that, but instead we all started talking in code. And by we all, I really mean the Republicans. But, but, but the, you know, there was a very interesting piece not long ago regarding Lee Atwater and the, and the way that they brought out Willie Horton in 1988 and, um, and then used, you know, the politics of race there and, and the, 
widow of the reporter that interviewed Lee Atwater made the tape available of of the Atwater uh, uh, interview. I've heard that it's really yeah, and 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 that is it's 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 telling about how you know we got to where we are and and the the thing is is what we have with trump is how the forces that had been used to win electorally and then were would be stifled while they went ahead and and did what they whether you call it compassionate conservatism or, or uh, you know, tax cuts or, or whatever it is they're doing. I mean, so many Republicans are buying into what Trump is doing because they got their tax cuts, they're getting their deregulation, and the judiciary is going their way. So they can put up with the nonsense, they can put up with the noise, they can put up with the tweets, they can put up with, with, with the uh, obnoxious things he says and, and, and the coarseness because they're getting the things that, that, that they always wanted out of a Republican president otherwise. So, you know, they can hold their nose and, and put up with those things. Now, you have some conscientious Republicans who, who still can't look past, you know, Trump being Trump. You got, you got your George Wills. You got your Fromms. You got your, your William Crystal. You, you, Max you, Boot. You, right. Damn you, hat. You've got... <laughs> yeah, you've, you've got you've got all kinds. You, you got people like that. And the thing is, is is that you the good the, the good thing about having those people out there like that about having like a John Kasich. I don't care for John Kasich for a lot of reasons. But I'm the not good thing, saying I'm yeah. not appreciating mm-hmm. that they are saying this is not normal right. and calling it out. I just don't appreciate that they are trying to tell the Democrats mm-hmm. who they should run. No, I, I would hope that they would focus on rebuilding the Republican Party after this Trump thing is over, because you do need a Republican Party. You do need a right party in this country, in this country to, to go with the left party. You, 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 but do you, we, you, I, you, I don't feel like we've the, had a right and a left. In my mm-hmm. lifetime, it's felt like we have right and we have center. Well... Yeah, and and, the, and, and and the thing is, is the further to the right the Republicans move, the more the center the Democrats end up grabbing, which, in the long run, may make the Democrats the majority party, and yet it's unwieldy to actually get things done. And you know, one of the things you touched on earlier is, you know, the Democrats never fight as dirty as the Republicans do, and part of that I think is because the Democrats are inherently prone to respecting process, because they do believe in good government. And they do believe in in that if you ha- if you and if you have faith in good government, then you also believe in playing by the rules. Well, I'm, I, I I have trouble with that with just saying the Democrats believe this because they're <laughs> a, they're a big party, and there's a uh, you know mm-hmm. I, I I see the Democrats as a mechanism. It's it's who I have to vote for. Sure. Okay. The, the, there's been just far too much friendliness with with um, what's good for business. What's mm-hmm. good for business at the and not. Like, that's what I appreciate about what Bernie Sanders and and especially Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Warren is just knocking it out of the park with policies lately. And I will. She is. I am no Bernie bro. I will be so happy with Elizabeth Warren uh, Mm -hmm. getting the getting the nomination. If like, you know, if it turns out like that's the path to 2020, I'm like, absolutely. I'm and Mm -hmm. I most I think most people for Bernie at this point are. Um, we, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I haven't officially, you know, endorsed or narrowed myself down to one candidate yet. I and, and I don't, and I, and I don't feel like I should have to, and I don't know people who backed Bernie last time. They know I backed Bernie last time and, and they, they want me to come out now and back Bernie now. And I'm not prepared to do that yet. 
and 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 I like what Bernie's doing. I like the things that he stands for generally, and and I also feel like that we're at a point in this country where where those are the things that the country really needs. Those are the things that the people in this country really need. And and Bernie is saying the you know the right things and 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 proposing the right policies. Elizabeth Warren is also doing that, and and you know I was charmed at first by Pete Buttigieg. I bought his book. I started to read it, or I tried to, and and I and you know and I thought, oh, he's a mayor. I'm a mayor. There, there's going to be some things in common here that I'm going to appreciate. And and I found that 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 and I. I found that some of what I saw in Buttigieg could almost be a cautionary tale of what I don't want to do as mayor. And, you know, I'm working on housing policies right now, and I'm working on redevelopment right now, and I'm working on securing some demolition funds for some houses that do have to come down right now. But I don't, I'm not looking to tear down a thousand houses in a thousand days. And I'm not looking at the numbers and, and, and thinking that there aren't people you know, behind those numbers. And, and, you know, we're working on, uh, you know, we've proposed some new zoning here where, where there's a possibility where we could open ourselves up to building some, you know, some rather expensive homes. But at the same time, if you do only that, then what are you doing for other people that, that need assistance in housing? Well, one of the things we're doing here is we're, we're working on an exterior maintenance program. We're working on exterior maintenance grants for people who uh, are, are at a certain income level but are a homeowner and could use some assistance. Because this is something where I think a, a multi-tiered approach in housing is appropriate, where, where we both bring in you know, some, some new people with some good incomes that will pay some good income tax in, into the coffers of the city that the city sorely needs. Our, 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 our revenues have been fairly stagnant. These hitting them over and over again for small issues. Recognize that there are real people who live here who could, who could use some assistance, and it doesn't do us any good to just keep citing them over and over again for small issues when they could apply for a program to help them with the broken gutter, to help them with, with, with some tuck pointing, to help them with 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 getting a new roof on their house and that's something that's going to benefit all of us it benefits them especially but it benefits all of us we all want to live in good neighborhoods with good houses next door to next door to us and and uh that kind of program will help with that so that's all you know i, I kind of went the long way home if i can <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be kind of a joke on Buddha judge's uh, book name but 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 the uh, <laughs> right. but what I was getting at is is that is that while while Pete Buttigieg obviously did some very good work in in, in South Bend there there's some there's some gaps there's some holes and there's some and maybe some blind spots even and and you know it's 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 great to say oh you build all these great new homes okay but what about the other people who who needed homes and and now no longer have them because you tore them down where are they do they still live in South Bend do they go someplace yeah. else. They well, become a, somebody else's problem. I, I mean, I, and I really appreciate hearing from you that concern for, you know, because sometimes I, I feel like there's too much. It's always about like, what's good for business? What's good for the middle class? What are, it's like, what about these people falling through the cracks? Mm -hmm. And you can't just erase them or pretend they're not there because the comfortable, the, the people who voted for you mm -hmm. are not in that demographic and mm -hmm. it's not an issue that's going to matter to them. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that, that people in office need to remember is that, is that, that there are people who, 
I don't want to say that they don't need the help or can't use the assistance or don't benefit from from certain programs you can put in place for them, but but there there you know there 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 are people in this country that don't need assistance from the government. They're going to make their money. They're going to have a good home. They're going to have a good life, and and it's really just a question of how much you're you're going to skim off of them to to make everything else work. <laughs> and and. You know, there are a lot of people in this country that don't have a voice. There are a lot of people in this country who who you don't hear from every day as an elected official because they're just trying to make ends meet. They're trying to they're trying to get you know their kids fed. They're trying to you know they're trying to they're trying not to lose their home to eviction or foreclosure, and and you know they don't have time to to be calling their congressman every day, calling their mayor every day, calling their city council person every day to to complain about smaller problems, and. And you got to look out for them even when you're not hearing from them all the time. Because uh, who else is going to? Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, like any struggling podcast, I can always use a little iTunes love with a five-star rating or swing by the Facebook page, throw a like my way, maybe a couple of comments. And if you really, really like the show, you can kick a couple of bucks my way at patreon.com slash bzdug. That's B-Z-D-U-G. Okay, that's it. End of podcast. Enjoy whatever it is you're about to do next. Thanks. Bye.